Welcome to the Leading Transformational Change Podcast. Our passion is to help you lead and build flourishing organizations, one at heart, with high integrity and a healthy culture. My name is Tobias Sturluson and I'm the co-founder of Heart Management. In this episode, I have the distinct privilege of being joined by Alison Taylor, adjunct professor at NYU Stern School of Business and executive director at Ethical Systems. Ethical Systems' mission is to harness research from leaders in academia to transform the ethical practice of business in the corporate world. Prior to joining Ethical Systems, Allison was the managing director of BSR, Business for Social Responsibility, and held various positions at Transparency International, PwC, etc. Allison is a member of the World Economic Forum Global Future Council on Transparency and Anti-Corruption, and her writings can be found in Harvard Business Review, Quartz, and many other places. Allison, really, really happy to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. You have truly dedicated your professional life to the cause of business ethics and compliance and building cultures of integrity. And of course, I've just read a little bit of your your writings and your thoughts on these topics. And what, what sparked your interest in these subjects? Oh, that's a good question. So for my uh, BA, I studied modern history and then I went on to study international relations and political science. And so my first jobs were in editing and then in country risk. So I became very interested in how big business behaves, especially in countries where there's lots, a lot of corruption, there's not good governance. I worked at the beginning of my career in the Middle East and especially in Sub-Saharan Africa. And I became very interested in the impact of, on society um, of the interaction between politics and business. And that raised a lot of questions for me. I went on then to spend several years investigating corruption and fraud. And that raised a lot of questions for me about leadership and culture and mission and all those kind of things. And so I've really um, been very lucky to have the chance to spend a lot of my career exploring these questions from a lot of very different dimensions. The, uh, the reason that I found your work was really a, a lucky coincidence, I would say. I was heard a, a statement that a U.S. government official made concerning the tragic murder of, of George Floyd and, and the whole situation uh, within the U.S. police force. And, and he said that there are some bad apples in there and there, there are some bad cops that are racist and they need to be rooted out because there's a few bad apples that are giving law enforcement a terrible name. And, and I've heard that same rhetoric uh, so many times. And, and now, of course, that is maybe more of a political uh, question there. But I hear it from political and organizational leaders in with many different political persuasions. And, and, and I actually went online and I just searched for bad apple theory. And I came on an article that you had co-written about some of the research on the subject, where you really highlight that very seldom is it really about bad apples, but it is about much bigger cultural and, and, and structural issues. And could you just expand a little bit on why you believe that is so and, and why we so often maybe talk about bad apples, but we don't understand or, or maybe we don't want to admit 
the bigger reality? Maybe that's more more the, the question or the issue. So, um, I mean, I think you're absolutely right um, that this is a very common trope in our discourse. And when there is an ethical problem in a large corporation, it's very, very common to have the leaders say, I didn't know anything about it, must have just been a few bad apples. So this is really, I think, um, when you think about it, this bad apple theory is very much the basis of our approach to organizational compliance at the moment. So there is an implicit assumption in today's compliance programs that we have policies and procedures, and those are designed to find and remove the bad people. And if we if we can find and remove those bad people, our organizations won't have a problem anymore. Unfortunately, I think the reality is a little bit more complicated than that. One, we are not actually reliably divided into good and bad people. We are all, in fact, incredibly influenced by our environment and inc incredibly influenced by each other. Uh, Europe and, and even more so the US, we're very, very individualistic cultures. We don't like this idea of how influenced we are by the people around us, but there is an absolute ton of evidence showing that we are. I think the other way that this term is used is by leadership to maintain plausible deniability, that this ethical problem was something that just sprung up on its own and I didn't have anything to do with it. We would argue and I would argue that the reality is rather different and that the way that organizations set strategy, the tone and actions of leadership particularly things like the incentive structures and how, what kind of behavior is rewarded inside the organization. All of these things are incredibly relevant for how likely an organization is to become involved in unethical conduct. And so rather than just acting as if bad apples spring up from nowhere and infect the rest of the company, we need to think about the design of the barrel, and we even need to think about the orchard that the barrel sits in if we want to understand how unethical behavior comes about. That's that's so so good. And in, in, in our work, we have uh, advised leaders of organizations that have gone through a, a very public crisis. And, and, and so many times it kind of follows a, a similar pattern where you first deny the issue and then when the weight of evidence becomes too heavy you you say that it is something has happened and you say maybe it's some bad apples but you you never really want to and, and then you might say but we're still going to work on our values or something like that but you never actually take responsibility for that that cultural issue that's there and what i've seen and and even looking at a, a number of different types of organizations uh, seeing that the cost of that is really, really high because at some point, sooner or later, you're going to have to admit some things anyway. And because you don't do it from the very beginning, because it takes so long, you really lose a lot of trust and credibility. And and, and, and you write on your, your website that wise leaders take a holistic, systematic approach to organizational culture in order to foster greater integrity in business. And I just wanted to ask you, why do you think this is like important from a kind of business success standpoint that you actually care about this and care about building that integrity? 
There are a ton of reasons. Um, and there's a ton of research uh, exploring the benefits of integrity from a number of different dimensions. So I'll just say a few things. I mean, I think employees in organizations are very attuned to hypocrisy. They're very attuned to the gap between what a leader says and how a leader behaves. We all look at how our leaders behave in the office as a way to figure out how we should behave. So if there is a gap between stated values and then what kind of behavior is actually rewarded, that will be very clear to anybody that works in the organization. A second thing I would say is that if you have an ethical culture that attracts and retains talent, particularly young people, so particularly millennials and Gen Z, are incredibly interested in whether um, they are working for an ethical organization. And if they believe that they are, they will be more motivated, there will be better employer retention and that kind of thing. There's obviously then a lot of penalties for unethical conduct, so uh, legal costs, reputational costs, and that kind of thing. There are a bunch of studies that seem to all show, using various different methodologies, that the value of your reputation is at least 30% of the, your overall corporate value measured in various ways. So if you think about how high a proportion that is compared to your goods and services, how you behave, how your stakeholders see you, how your employees see you. That is a huge amount of value that you are leaving on the table if you take a very short-term self-interested mindset. At, at Ethical Systems, you have developed a really helpful framework that I, I found really great to, to look at and understand kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about an, an ethical culture. And, and could you describe it a bit and, and, and kind of these negative and positive elements and how we can look at our culture from the perspective of ethics and integrity? Yeah, we uh, there's a paper on our website, which I would really invite your listeners to read. But we're saying there are both um, negative drivers, things that can undermine the culture. So things like absence of control processes, absence of a reliable, independent whistleblowing or internal reporting hotline. I mean, I certainly would argue you need to have those control processes in place. But then there are also uh, positive elements like empathy and trust and how leadership behaves. And so you can think about culture in terms of things that you can do to improve. And then you can think about culture in terms of control processes and measures that you can put in place to make unethical behavior more likely. If we would look at these kind of negative and positive elements, what what would you say as the most kind of important thing or most important positive elements that, that leaders should focus on to build that strength of an ethical culture in their organization? Well, I mean, I think the most obvious one is leaders, um, which I've mentioned already, leaders set the tone um, for how everybody else behaves. So that concept of tone at the top, you cannot have an attitude of do as I say, not as I do. I think that um, a hyper-competitive culture with very, very short time horizons tends to be very vulnerable to unethical conduct. In unethical cultures, there tends, tends to be a sense of urgency and necessity and fear. So building psychological safety within teams, ability to speak up, ability to raise concerns, 
those are very important. And then the incentive structures that I've mentioned already, what behavior you reward and on what grounds, very, very important. So companies that have a, a very high bonus culture, you know, there are some companies where if you hit a certain target, you get 100% of your bonus. And if you miss that target, you, you miss your bonus entirely. That kind of thing just incentivizes um, unethical behavior. And so we would say that rather than um, focusing entirely on processes and systems and then acting surprised when um, things go wrong, you should think about culture as an organizational design issue and put in place measures and systems that make behaving ethically as easy as possible for your, your employees. Could you expand on that a little bit more? What that like when you talk about that design issue? Think about the signals that you are giving um, across the organizational system. So you can think in terms of structure and strategy, mission and vision, leadership, norms and behaviors, values and incentives. And in all these cases, there is a lot of evidence showing what the difference is between an ethical and unethical culture. And if you put in place those measures, you will be far less likely to have um, to have trouble. For HR leaders, which is a, a big part of our audience, when they maybe see signs of an, an unethical culture or or maybe that there's just a, a lack of really focus on, on building that ethical culture within their organization. What can they do to kind of create that conversation and, and, and maybe put that on the agenda within the organization and make sure that they make movements in the right direction? Well, I think it's really important for leaders in human resources and also that for that matter, leaders in compliance to engage with the senior leadership team. If there is a, a set of initiatives that is just being led by HR and is not owned by the senior leadership team, that will not help. So two things stand out for what HR leaders can do. One is to work with the compliance team to look at the consequences of incentive structures. Incentive structures are very complex. You can reward individual competitiveness or team level behavior or organizational level behavior. And there are different pros and cons to how you structure um, incentives. But what is very clear is that incentives are a huge area of ethical risk for many companies. If we think about the VW scandal, for example, that really um, came about partly because VW was pushing to be the highest in, in diesel vehicles in the US. Really, really kind of hyper competitive attitude and then incentivization of employees to do everything it took to meet that target. So I'm looking closely at incentives and, and in, in conjunction with the ethics and compliance team is the single most useful thing an HR leader can do. I would also encourage HR leaders to assess their cultures, to really get firm data from employees about how they see the culture. That can be very um, difficult because if there is a low trust environment, employees may not trust that that information is confidential. So it can be useful to have an independent assessment, but it's often perceived that it's impossible to assess culture. At Ethical Systems, we believe rather it is very possible and it can be very, very revealing about what the culture challenges are. And then you can put in place programs that respond to those culture challenges. I would say that 
one of the big issues that we have today is, is companies implementing programs where there's not a lot of evidence behind them. So we would certainly argue that you must start by assessing what is really going on and gathering that evidence before you can figure out how to address the problem. So in conclusion, look closely at your incentive structures and see what they are um, incentivizing your employees to do and at different levels. And then think about assessing different dimensions of your culture, seeing what risks pop up, and then uh, working with your senior leadership team to address those risks. Do, do you have an example of an organization that you think is a, a great example of, of doing this in, 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 in a good way that I've really made like, and, and, and I, I truly believe that when it comes to building an ethical culture, or when it comes to building culture generally, it is like our physical health. That is, we can we might have run run a, a marathon two years ago, but that doesn't necessarily say something about who we are today. But but an organization that you see are working really intentionally with this. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's very hard to say just from the outside reading the news whether a, whether a, a, a company has a good or bad culture, but. I would certainly mention Unilever as being an organization that has tried to, to decouple its performance from quarterly reporting. It stopped quarterly reporting so that it would be able to take a longer term um, view and to really think about societal and environmental value and not just short term shareholder value. So it's an example of a company that's very often cited as, as, as having a very good approach to sustainability. But, but given that short time horizons are such a challenge for an ethical culture, I would certainly point to Unilever. I've been really impressed with Salesforce, the US technology company, which is thinking, I think, in a very intentional way and using interesting decision-making frameworks to consider the long-term consequences of its strategic moves and the impact of, of things like what it's doing on data and AI um, on human rights. So, I found that thoughtful and I found that very interesting. And then lastly, um, this is an example of a company that had a lot of challenges, but Telia, the Scandinavian telecoms company, lots and lots of corruption problems in Central Asia. Um, I was really impressed that the CEO resigned, even though he was not personally implicated. That is a really good example of tone at the top. And then I think that company has given a lot of thought in, in the subsequent years to its governance and is now really trying to um, think more holistically around governance beyond control processes. So there's a few examples for you. You've also written about... CSR and and just the issue in, in in organizations that now of course many many organizations we want to think about sustainability and and so on but that many times it it doesn't actually become something that kind of challenges how we operate so so we have initiatives but they are quite decoupled from 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 our actual real business and many times there's actually a conflict between those two could you speak a bit into that and what you think that that organizations should be doing for this to be something that is actually done we would say with integrity 
Sure. So uh, the original concept of CSR back in the 1960s and before 2000 was really that CSR is about charity and philanthropy. So the core business does whatever the core business does. And then there will be philanthropic or charitable programs to give back to society, community engagement, that kind of thing. Today, the idea is is more around this idea of shared value, which means that companies should prioritize initiatives that both increase the value of their business and and add value to society um, and the environment. And so this means identifying your biggest risks and opportunities as a business um, and taking action on those areas. Um, So I think companies are doing better on these things. Um, But of course, um, some social responsibility initiatives don't themselves um, increase value. Sometimes it does cost more to treat your suppliers better or pay your employees more. And so there is, I think, a long-term business case for CSR in terms of reputation and motivation and being able to leverage the power of collaborative relationships. But it's not necessarily possible to put the financial return into a spreadsheet um, and sort of say that it's going to come back really, really quickly. And so I think this is really about a different mindset and vision for the organization. Not everybody is on board with that yet. And, And so the result can be rather small, powerless teams running initiatives that still don't fully connect with the core business. That's starting to change, but um, there's really a long way to go in terms of measurement and metrics and building the case for this kind of thinking. What what I see in in, in many organizations is that we have this disconnect between where we have uh, senior leaders, we have the CEO, for example, who want, who see the need or, for example, it's important to focus on culture from an employer branding perspective or CSR or whatever that is. And then we put somebody kind of out there in the organization, whether it's HR or, or somebody else who should be responsible for those initiatives. And we think that we can just delegate it. But how do you see the importance of the role of the CEO of the, the board of the senior leadership? If there isn't support from the senior leadership for CSR initiatives, they are very unlikely to be successful. I've seen that over and over again. Um, and if there is support from senior leadership, then then the change can be really, really transformational. But if this is seen as being nice to have or, or really an outcrop of marketing, which is very often how it's seen, that's how you get the, the term greenwashing, then um, I think that the, the programs will not be connected to core strategy and it will be very, very difficult to make them effective or um, impactful. So, so basically what you're saying is that the motives behind what we do, I mean, what the drivers are important and not just actually what we do. Yes, absolutely. And I think that um, really having a transformational approach to social and environmental responsibility needs to start at the top. And we need to consider it in every aspect of an organization's strategy. That's still very, very rare. Um, But we start to see more and more going on. And there's a lot of change going on in this space at the moment. When leaders find that there is a, an issue with ethics or a, or a lack of ethics or that something is like going on, like we've been seeing, like you mentioned Volkswagen, and I mean, we've seen it in with Scandinavian banks and so on. What, what should the leadership team be doing? 
One is listening to employees, seeing what they are concerned about, seeing if they see a gap between stated values and actual behavior. I think that diversity of perspectives and social identity in the leadership team can very often be helpful. There is very, very often groupthink in the leadership team, which reduces um, the ability to spot risks, and it also reduces innovation and creativity. I've certainly talked already about strategy and mission and incentives as being very, very important. I think also um, oversight um, is very, very important. So there needs to be a strong speak up culture. There needs to be a way for employees to raise concerns without feeling like their jobs um, are at threat. So um, there are really an enormous number of things um, that can be done. Um, perhaps the most important is listening to all your stakeholders, not just your shareholders. I think that many, when they think about measuring things within their culture, at least in a in a Swedish context, we have a, a, a big, big focus on employee engagement. And, and it's become almost, in my perspective, seen as kind of a, a silver bullet that this is how we measure culture. And it's all about the culture is really all about employee engagement. And, and, and to kind of widen that perspective, or, or maybe you agree with that, but, but, but I mean, to widen that perspective, what are other things that you think would be good to, to measure um, well, I think employee engagement can be useful, um, but, you know, a lot of the time employees don't really believe these surveys are confidential and they may not be the best way to identify ethical concerns. Because if you are, for example, if you believe that your manager is unethical, um, you may not uh, be willing or able to raise those concerns. That's why we have um, internal whistleblowing hotlines. So I think you need to go beyond engagement. You need to go beyond asking people how they feel about their pay and their benefits and their vacation time and really get a little bit deeper about um, do they trust their colleagues? Do they trust their leaders? Do they believe in the mission of the organization? Does the organization um, show that it cares about things beyond making money? So these kind of questions, all of which are included in our culture assessment. We've now just navigating this time of a pandemic. We're navigating a, a time of, of, of change in so many ways and where work life is changing. And if you would just kind of cast a vision for the future from your perspective of what you want to see in regards to leadership, in regards to how we build our organizations, what, what would you say that that vision is? I would like to see um, companies working together to tackle um, some of the big systemic challenges that we're facing today. So pandemics is obviously one of them, climate change, inequality, biodiversity, um, or, you know, labor rights in the supply chain. I would really like to see companies um, think about how they can improve society and not just their bottom lines, because that is ultimately better for their bottom lines as well. But I think we need a new vision for capitalism and a new vision for the private sector. I think there's a very strong desire for that vision. And now the details just need to be worked out. 
Thank you so much, Alison. It's been incredibly helpful to to talk to you, and 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 I'm I'm so grateful for the work that you do, and and that you do at Ethical Systems on on really focusing on how to build this ethical culture because I think it's so incredibly important for our organizations, and I think we are reminded uh, almost daily of why that is important. So 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 finally, could I just ask you how how can people connect with you and and connect more with your work and following and and, and learn more um you can come to our website which is ethicalsystems.org my contact details are on there a lot more about us the kind of work we do and there is a ton of research on our website about ethical culture incentives the business case for ethics leadership honesty negotiation lots and lots and lots of um very interesting things you can read um if this is a topic you'd like to explore further if you found this podcast helpful it would mean a lot to me if you would subscribe rate and review it on itunes and thank you so much for listening Mm -hmm.